You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Anderson. everyone. Thank you for joining us for our first episode of Girls with Graphs. I'm Rachel Anderson and I'm one of your hosts for this podcast. Um, I'm just going to do a quick introduction on myself since this is our first um, episode, which I'm so excited about. Um, I am a burn survivor. I was burned when I was three years old um, and I really have known Phoenix Society ever since then. I actually met the founder of Phoenix Society, Alan Um, He was introduced to my family when I was four, so within a year after my injury, and I have been growing up with the Phoenix Society ever since. Um, I was a PEG recipient in 2013, and then in 2018, I was actually a Phoenix Fellow, which led me to my full-time job here in 2019. So, so excited to be here and so excited to have Amber here with me as well. Thanks so much, Rachel. It's so good to to be here today. Uh, I am Amber Wilcox. I'm the other half of Girls With Graphs. I am also on Phoenix Society's marketing team. Uh, And so Rachel and I uh, have started this podcast. I am also a burn survivor. Uh, We both do have skin grafts, which is uh, why we've titled it Girls With Graphs. Uh, I was burned in April of 2020 from a hot caramel spill in my kitchen uh, and connected with the Phoenix Society about two weeks after my injury. Uh, stayed in touch with the Phoenix Society, and then recently made the transition over as marketing lead. So I'm so excited to be here today and dive in. Uh, I do want to, before we get started, send over a special thank you to our season one sponsor, uh, Pritzker Hagman. Uh, and so they are the burnt injury legal team that has sponsored this season's podcast. And so we want to thank them a little bit there uh, before we get started. I, I do want to introduce our podcast now. Uh, so as you may have heard, our, our podcast is called Girls with Graphs. Uh, we started this just very recently. Uh, Rachel and I wanted to connect with the community in another way, and we were excited to um, have the opportunity to do so through this podcast. Uh, and, and thanks to our sponsor, we did actually, or I did uh, join uh, another podcast a couple of weeks back, uh, Tanya from Burn Beauty 2018. Uh, we want to send her a special thank you for helping us get started. Um, seeing her podcast and how she was able to connect the community inspired us. And so we want to just send her a special thank you as well. Um, but this podcast is for our burn community. Uh, so whether you're a burn survivor, a corporate sponsor, a hospital partner, um, and beyond, we are so excited to have you join us and listen in on all the exciting guests we have lined up for this season. Rachel, did yes. I cover it? <laughs> yes, you did a great job. I mean, who doesn't love podcasts? I know I listen to way too many podcasts throughout the day and the week. So I'm excited to have another one to listen to, even though I'll be listening to my own voice, which may be a little weird. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and whether you're joining us uh, by listening while you're at the gym, at work, uh, or maybe you're watching us live on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn, uh, we're so excited to have you. Feel free to drop some comments in if you have questions. We'll be taking uh, Q&As at the end of the podcast. 
Yeah. And like Amber said, we have a great lineup of guests throughout this season, and I'm very excited to introduce our first guest, which I'm sure many of our listeners right now already know, but it is Amy Acton, our CEO of Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors. Um, she's been with the organization for over 20 years. She's a burn survivor, former burn nurse, leading advocate for the burn community, and so much more. Um, and she's really dedicated dedicated her career to promoting um, burn recovery services and resources for the burn survivors and loved ones. So we are so excited to have you on today, Amy. Ah, great to be here. I'm just uh, honored to be the first guest of this uh, <laughs> great new podcast. Really excited about it. Thanks so much for joining us, Amy. It's a pleasure yeah. to have you. <laughs> Another and girl with graphs, right? <laughs> Another girl with graphs. I feel like I'm right at home here. <laughs> Perfect. And like I said, I know so many people already know you, Amy, but for those who don't, can you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, your journey as a burn survivor and as a burn nurse um, and how you got involved in the burn community? Sure, sure. Yeah, I was burned at the age of uh, 18, right after high school, my great summer job I had at a marina. And so mine was an electrical injury. I hit a high tension wire with a sailboat mast when I was pushing it on a trailer to, to get it out of the way of some construction. So that's how I entered this club, uh, the club that nobody really wants to or plans to, but once you're in, you uh, really find your kind of community here. Um, so I uh, was treated at the burn center for a couple months and went off, uh, recovered for about a year, went back to college and decided I was going to be a nurse, but it really kind of formulated my desire to be a burn nurse. And so I was a burn nurse for many years, about 12, 13 years. Um, and then um, joined the Phoenix Society. And I, I started with the Phoenix Society as a burn nurse and bringing people to World Burn Congress. And mm -hmm. I got a little uh, packet from Alan about how to do Burn Survivor Sunday when I was a nurse. And so we started doing Burn Survivor Sunday at our burn center many years ago. So that's how I kind of came into the Phoenix Society community. Awesome. Yeah. And so did you, when you first got involved with Phoenix Society, you were helping at your burn unit. Did you meet Alan or how was that kind of first involvement, like that direct first yeah. introduction? Well, I, I tell you, it's a very interesting story. I, my parents, when they passed, I found a box and there was a letter from my social worker, Barb, um, to my parents and to me. Um, saying, hey, there's this org organization called the Phoenix Society. Um, I think you would be a great person to get involved. Um, and that was that was sent two days after I went home. <laughs> so um, from Barb introducing me to the Phoenix Society. It wasn't until maybe two years later, I was uh, one of the kind of area coordinators I used to be called, reached out and asked if I would talk at I think it was a rotary club thing. So my parents and I went and did that. A uh, little unprepared, but we went and told our story. And that was the first time I really became involved with Phoenix Society. But then it was when I was a new nurse, I got this little flyer about this World Burn Congress. And I uh, asked my nurse manager if I could go. And it was on the burn center's dime. So I went and I took my mom with me. And um, it was life-changing. It was life-changing because it just really changed my perspective of the needs of this community from just my own view of it to this wider kind of perspective. Uh, so it changed my practice and it kind of changed the view of our own recovery, my mom and I, as we sat and listened to about a hundred people tell their stories. 
That's amazing. Amy, I know a little bit of the history of the Phoenix Society, but uh, just to tell our audience, so it was founded in 1977 and serves burn survivors, loved ones, burn care professionals, researchers, and anyone else committed to empowering the burn community and building a safer world. Um, so our seeds were planted when Alan Breslau, uh, a burn survivor of a 1963 airplane crash, visited a young boy in a burn center shortly after his accident. Um, there, he was recognized uh, for the transformative power of peer support. Um, Amy, you were named the executive director and now the CEO in 1980, 1998. Uh, but, you know, I want to know a little bit about when that was, you know, transformed over to you or turned over to you. Yeah. Um, what, what were you feeling at that time? Because I know if I was handed um, the title of CEO or executive director um, of, of Phoenix Society, I'd be probably a little scared or nervous. Do you want to share um, yeah. with us what, how you were feeling at that time? Sure. Well, first of all, I need to go back and answer because I don't think I answered the question, which Rachel should have got on me about. But she asked me when I first kind of got to know Alan. It was that first world burn when I really got to meet him and his his just a uh, strong position and drive for the organization uh, was I sat there, I sat next to Frank McGonigal, who is another person many people know, and it was a, just a tremendous supporter and mentor to me. Um, and we sat there and, you know, at that time, um, and just, I just thought, wow, this, this is something I could get involved in and do. I really enjoy this type of environment. So that's what was my first interaction with Alan, just watching him, uh, mentor and coach and push and um, advocate for the community. So um, when I took this role, again, it was Alan had done it out of his home and worked uh, for many, many years driving this organization forward with his wife, Delwyn, who was another and is an ongoing contributor to the burn community in a major way. Um, and the, the board was really not quite knowing he wanted to retire. And, um, so at that time, uh, they raised enough money for my salary for one year. Cause I had a, I had to have a job I needed to work. Um, and they, they put out a call for people that were interested in the role. And I was uh, accepted as executive director, um, with my salary for one year. And <laughs> I had never run a nonprofit. I, I managed a burn center and we raised money uh, for the burn center. So I had some experience of that, but from managing a budget to raising the budget um, and taking the concepts that Alan had, uh, education, peer support and advocacy, and then trying to really operationalize it and try to bring it to scale. That was scary. Uh, and it was myself you know, part-time employee at the time who came along with stuff from Pennsylvania, uh, Wendy. Uh, she worked with me for a while in Grand Rapids. Um, and just building on the vision. Um, so the first thing we did was really focus on peer support. We felt that was the core and still is the core of Phoenix Society is meeting somebody else who's traveled that road can be transformational. Um, it can help you get unstuck. It can help you see the future. It can give you hope. So we knew we needed to do that in a, a kind of more uh, structured way. Uh, we would have some really good experiences, and then we would have some people that it wasn't a good experience for. So we, we were trying to identify how could we provide quality uh, peer support and help people be good peer supporters, um, understand what the role is and what it's not. 
so we came together with a kind of national advisory group of survivors and healthcare professionals and mental health folks, and we created Phoenix SOAR, Survivors Offering Assistance and Recovery. So that was the first thing we did out of the box, and we piloted it in six hospitals. Uh, I won't try to remember which six right now, <laughs> but you can look on our website. But they were leaders in the burn, burn centers, and uh, they took it on and said, yeah, we want it. We believe in this. Uh, so we piloted it in six hospitals, and it's grown now to, I think, we're in 80 burn centers around the country and some a couple in Canada, um, and also kind of shared that experience in other countries. So that has grown as a hospital-based program now. Um, and so that's where we started. We started there. And then we started looking at World Burn Congress, which was the other key piece that had been going on. But again, it's not every year because sometimes it didn't happen. And so we were trying to build structure around that so we could uh, grow it. Um, and we started partnering with hospitals and corporate partners. And we were able to build that program uh, from 100, 150 to 1,000 people every year. So that's been a great uh, core piece of Phoenix Society. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, oh, go ahead, oh, Amy. Sorry. <laughs> Amy, you told me a story. Um, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, and you told me, um, I think this is one of my favorite stories that, that you told in that interview, but about um, your first experience with Journey magazine and or, or what was known as burn support magazine and how um and so i think it's a great example of how uh you know just you have evolved the organization but also um you know there were struggles too right and so recognizing that can you tell that story to our readers because oh yeah yeah there this is one of many struggles along and learnings i think that's why i'm still here after 20 years i love to I love to struggle. I don't know if that's it, but I, I love to learn and grow and try new things. So one that I didn't really enjoy that much was uh, the first issue of our, our burn magazine at the time it wasn't called uh, what it is now, but the burn support magazine, Wendy, who had worked with me had gone on vacation. So she was out in Colorado somewhere, <laughs> eventually had moved out there. So she was out there and we talked about how can we, how do you send these out? Cause it was the first one I was in charge of. He goes, oh, we just, you know, we stick them and we just, we can send them out ourselves. We don't need to go through a mailing thing that will cost, you know, <laughs> at that point, anything that costs anything was like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. So I said, okay, well, we'll do it ourselves. So she's gone and in comes like a truckload of a pickup truck full of, I think it was 9,000 pieces or something at the point at time. Uh, and I, I've got this little office, one room office that is about 10 by 10. So I have to borrow all this space of the gal next door to me, who was a photographer of the hospital. So we had rented space from the hospital I used to work at. We had them lined up. And what I what I found out was you had to have them stacked by zip code and put <laughs> so they had to be delivered like in packets by zip code. It took us weeks. It took us like three weeks. I had to hire a couple high school kids from my friend kids to help me do it. I'm sure only a third of them got to where they needed to go. Um, so the next time I think we paid $500 and we had them <laughs> actually do that. So that, I think that in, in the essence is Phoenix Society's journey has been trying to do a lot with a little and then trying to shift our thinking about we, we bring value to this community as an organization, as a group of people who care, our, our volunteers, our board members, the staff here. So how do we um, build the case? 
build the case for investment in what we're doing uh, from those within and then externally from us so we can grow and really do things in a way that can be sustainable. Uh, so that's been that journey over time uh, in the learning uh, for myself. Mm-hmm. When you, you touched on how Worldburn has changed, how um, Phoenix Store has really you know, started and now is today the program, the gold standard program for hospitals. And then we talked about Journey Magazine, but what about some of the other programs? How have those evolved? Um, you know, and what was even Worldburn like back then? Was it what we imagine today or what was even the format of that? Yeah, I mean, in World Burn, for example, was it was um, it was different because it, uh, at that time we would have local groups say, "Okay, I'm going to have World Burn," and they would hold World Burn, and we would push it out and tell people what's happening and kind of disseminate the information about it. But it was really run by a handful of people and volunteers that would pull together the best they could with the resources they had and the best place they could find. <laughs> um, well, I remember one time we were we had an event and kind of a a barn type of, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it's kind of a Western theme thing. And, and we all showed up for this dinner in a barn and it was, we walked in and it was one door going in and there were hay bales and candles. You, you want to see people go berserk? <laughs> we all were like, okay, this can't happen. And we like, you know, no fault of the group that was having it, but it was just, you know, it was the best we could do. Um, and so when we really identified and we had paid staff that could manage that, um, we were able to have consistent programming. You know, uh, open mic had happened before, but we had open mic with some ground rules and professionals to help us run that part of it that made it better and safer for people to share their stories. We learned from the people that had run them before. So many of the pieces were still done, but just managed a little better because we had consistency of people who could grow and learn from one year to the next. So mm-hmm. we still use a ton of volunteers for World Burn Congress. It's still a community effort with our local partners, our local nonprofits and the burn centers and our corporate partners. But we have some consistency with the team here at Phoenix Society who've done an outstanding job creating and testing new things. And we're about ready to test it again um, mm-hmm. because we had grown to a place where we couldn't manage it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got so complicated uh, with so many things going on uh, that we felt we weren't doing what really needed to happen really well. So we're going to reimagine that. You're going to see it next year. We're really excited about that. Amy, yes. before we get to that, I have a quick question for mm-hmm. you. So uh, can you explain to those, and I said readers earlier, they're listening, they're not reading, <laughs> yeah. but can you tell them, um, those, there may be some involved that don't know what World Burn Congress or Open sure. Mic is. Uh, I know what it is, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I think our listeners may not, you know, not everyone may know. So can you explain a little bit about what B- World Burn Congress is as it, it existed, and then what uh, what is an open mic, um, and why is that important for our community? Yeah, so World Burn Congress to me is, I mean, most people say, well, it's a conference, right? It's a it's a conference of burn survivors, and they're telling their stories, and it's going to be really heavy and hard, and um, and it's an educational event. Um, it's all of those things, but what I found when I went that first time, um, it is like a reunion, a family reunion gathering with a learning bent. So um, people are coming and learning things about their physical recovery, learning things about how 
the burn affects them and the trauma affects them and their families. So when we say survivor, we mean kind of anybody affected by it. Um, it's a place where uh, you can socialize in a safe group of people going out because uh, when you're newly burned, you may not feel comfortable going out to the bars alone. You may not feel comfortable going to a baseball game or something. So there's a big social aspect of it, too, that gives people some of that confidence by watching somebody else interact and feel comfortable with maybe a stare or a question. You're you're coaching them in real life, in real time. So that's a real benefit of World Burn Congress. Open mic is really just what it says. It's an open mic where people can share where they are on their journey. Help, you know, maybe the next person who's coming along or maybe ask for some help from the group in the community about, I'm really struggling with this. This is my reality right now. Um, and often they will, after open mic, have a whole group of people say, hey, I've been there. These are some of the things I did that helped me through that. So it is a place where both you can share motivation and um, the healing and the joy that you found, uh, but also the struggles that you're having in real time. Mm -hmm. And you guys have been part of it. So if you have a better way to describe that. Yeah. No, I think I, I joined my first, I think, open mic shortly after my injury. And I remember being terrified of like saying it out loud of what had happened. But I remember like writing, writing it all down. And as I was reading like, tears, right. Coming down yeah. of like, I don't think I've ever told a story before, uh, yeah. or told that story before. And, um, it was both, like you said, healing for me to talk about it, but then also, I mean, the comments you get from the community and mine was only virtual. It wasn't in person. So I can only imagine yeah. what it's like in person. Um, but I found it healing because I did connect right on social media or what I oh, like, I heard your story uh, and this was helpful for, for me. And so it was, uh, it is just as you explained, it's a great opportunity mm -hmm. to come together with, with the community. Yeah. yeah, I think it's also a place. I mean, it was not long before COVID. One of the last ones we had, there's someone shared their story and they were talking about uh, the, being in that community and being able to just say their truth and not worry about upsetting their family or because mm -hmm. um, they protected their family. And so they always had to be the strong one. Mm -hmm. I heard that story. I just went... Mm. I just, I was like, all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, I so resonated with that. You know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, 30 years at that time, it was probably 35 years ago, my burn happened, but it was just like, that's my story. Mm -hmm. That's the way I managed that. And it just kind of like let that flow through and go. Right. right? So I think um, every year I hear a story like that that goes, oh yeah, wow, do mm -hmm. I remember that? or something that touches something that makes you question, you know, maybe I need to think about that a little bit in, in myself. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it challenges you to grow and always grow. And that vulnerability piece that where you can be vulnerable and how that is not something to be afraid of or is bad, but can really be a strength that you have uh, to be able to be vulnerable in that mm -hmm. way, especially in a group of a thousand people. That's pretty amazing. It's a, an amazing yeah. space. And some of that is created by our facilitators um, mm -hmm. to, to have that space is, is sacred, really. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And it, my first open mic experience wasn't at an open mic. It was at, so before I started attending World Burn Congress, I was attending a summer camp, Camp Susquehanna mm -hmm. for childhood burn survivors. And um, it's in Pennsylvania. And Alan was 
running it at the time and we had a talking stick. Talking stick. I uh, remember yep. being part of that one time. Yep. And so we'd all sit in the circle and then you didn't have to share if you didn't want to, but only the person holding the stick could share. And then mm. we just pass it around. And it was also just, I mean, for me, noticing how my story changed from when I was mm. younger and growing up, I went from, you know, more of that victim mentality to mm -hmm. survivor and thriver and just even, I mean, even at open mic, hearing some of the stories on the first day and then hearing those same people share their stories on the last day. Yeah. And just how much you can grow in three days together. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's always. Sure. Open I was probably in one of favorite. those circles that you had the talking stick because I, I did visit that camp when I first took the job. Um, and the talking stick was a very powerful moment for mm -hmm. me, too. Yeah. Great concept. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, while we're on the topic of World Burn, I know everyone is so excited. I'm also excited to um, share the upcoming dates and locations on October yeah. 25th. We're just a little bit under a month away. I am can't wait. I mean, I'm just so excited to be back in person. Yeah. Um, so, Amy, I would love to hear, you know, one of your just favorite memories from the conference over the years. Well, it's it's really hard to. <laughs> just one, hard. right? That's, <laughs> that's really hard. You know, I think. Hmm, I think one of my favorite stories. Um, and it, it happened to me as the new nurse when I went the first time. It was like. Uh, my favorite story was in Grand Rapids. It was the first time we really invited the fire service kind of into the community. So you should come. And they helped us kind of bring people from the airport. And we had this event uh, out at the Frederick Meyer Gardens. And and I had a firefighter come to me and just, he was tearing up. And he says, you know, thank you for inviting me here. So I can see that people don't hate me for saving them. And... Um, that was a big aha for me of how that closure, that loop of closure, it does maybe not the same person they saved. And I happened to bring my, the guy who saved my life at the scene to that mm. event and thank him in front of the crowd, which was one of the highlights of my so cool. world burn career to be able to say, thank you for clamping my crowd that day. You saved my life and look what, look where I am now and how I can mm. help other people because of you. And so it's a way to honor, but it's also closure for them to say, oh, that's so good. Because they don't know what the outcome is. It's not always, uh, they don't know that story. So to me, that was the same experience I had as a healthcare provider. Because there are people that you have on the unit, you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what their future will be. And I worry about that. And it brought me a lot of um uh, energy back to the burn center to to continue to do great work and add to what I was doing to make sure they could transition home easier and better and get connected to this community because I saw the difference it made. Um, yeah. So those are, I guess, some of my favorite stories of the whole community kind of uh, mm. resonating around the rest of the story because we spend so much time in the you know, the news spends so much time in the accident itself. And then we spend a lot of energy and time and effort in the acute hospital phase. And what we're trying to do is build this ongoing kind of network that can support the survivor throughout their lifespan. And how do they get connected to us mm -hmm. or to others that could help them? That's so, 
so important because I know for me on my anniversary. So for those that are listening that don't know, a anniversary is the anniversary of your burn injury. Uh, but my husband and I were thinking at my one year, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to? You know, there's all different ways that you can we say celebrate or remember. And I know for me, I was wanting to connect right with those mm -hmm. that saved me because if I, I truly connected with them really well that day, and and that's know how my story goes, but I, um, I'll never forget. We walked in with a bunch of pizzas and some small little gifts for, um, my first responders. And, uh, one of the things they said to me, Amy was, Oh, I don't always get to see what happened to you. Yeah. Right. Or to, to those people. And, um, they were very appreciative, but also really enjoyed just connecting on a different level. Mm -hmm. Right. Because in that moment, um, it can be a lot to, to, I'm sure as a first responder or a nurse to, to see that person and take care of them, but then never see them again. So, yeah. um, it was a really impactful moment for me and in, in my burn journey, but also I think for them as a first responder. So I, I appreciate that you said that, cause I think that's, yeah. um, important part of world burn too. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. And I, again, I think the, um, that living in gratitude is something I've learned from this community, right? Of, mm. um, you know, when we have a brush uh, like that in our lives, whether it's a, ourselves or a loved one, um, in the moment, it doesn't, you know, you, you wonder if you can feel positive about it. I think eventually for me, I, I was just grateful to be mm. here. Uh, there was a gentleman that died at in my accident. So I've always felt like I need to... Uh, I should be grateful to be here, number one, and I can, uh, how do I uh, continue to live on in a way that would honor that loss? Mm -hmm. So that's just for me, something that has always been kind of a driver. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, again, it's uh, the uniqueness of each person's story is the other thing I love about World Burn or SOAR or the work that we do is nobody does it the same. Um, and mm -hmm. that's not the expectation. I think the expectation is, is that we can continue to learn and grow um, and heal eventually, and then live our life, um, mm -hmm. live our life to the fullest. And sometimes that is the gift we get is that we live a little fuller because mm -hmm. we know that life is precious. Thanks so much. I um, I do want to talk a little bit about our recent programs, right? Of connecting yeah. people, um, connecting them sooner, right? That was something I, I know I connected yeah. with Phoenix Society two weeks after my burn injury. And that was a huge part of, I think my healing journey is that I was connected with other survivors, but also the team at Phoenix. And so, um, we, you know, recently, uh, came out with our journey forward kit, which I am going to show on the screen here for those mm -hmm. that are watching. And, and we will share more information on our you know podcast description about that journey forward kit. And really, uh, it's a bigger part of our journey forward program. So I'd love uh, if you, Amy, could tell us a little bit about that kit and that program um, yeah. and, and what it's doing today. Yeah, so the Journey Forward kit program concept uh, has uh, come from the community. So we have heard, um, we did a very extensive journey, customer journey map uh, process uh, really at the beginning of COVID. We've heard it in other studies that we've done and uh, surveys is that transition home they don't uh we we don't know what's next we don't we're, we're we're concerned we don't know what's next there's kind of a uh cocoon that you're leaving from the burn center and you're going home to 
you know, a little more chaos because everybody's trying to figure it out. The family's trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure it out. Some people don't have family um, and they don't know what to do next. So that transition is, so we saw it in Libre. We saw it um, in our journey mapping process that that's a, that's a pain point. Phoenix Society feels like we can address that um, with our partners, with our hospitals. We already have relationships, great relationships with the hospitals, with the SOAR program. So how do we connect the dots here? How do we um, transition people more smoothly uh, so they're connected? We often hear like two years later, I never knew you existed. I didn't know this community was here. I didn't know there's a support group in my own city. There's mm -hmm. so much information. I'm sure they're getting told, but that that gets lost. So what we're trying to do is find the simplest way we can to get people connected so we can start talking to them, get them Burn Support Magazine, let them get on chat. Uh, Amber, you are like the ideal that that continuity happens, <laughs> um, but that's that's rare. And so the journey kit, forward kit is a tangible thing uh, and we piloted it this year. We're just still getting the data back. So the kit may look a little different. What, how we refer people into the community. We're still working with our hospital partners. How can we do that the most efficiently? Like I get a referral to my hand surgeon. How can I get a referral to some of these communities and make it more part of the system and the structure? Um, so that's what the Journey Forward program is about. How do we tie in the peer supporters so they can help with this transition and give them tools? Uh, we're learning a lot by the pilot. And our goal is to really zero in a full-fledged program um, that can help people know what's next, what mm -hmm. what can you expect uh, down the road, and how can we provide some of those resources and then connections. Being a convener and a connector, Phoenix Society will get you. If there's a local support group in your city, we're going to get you there. Um, if there's a burn camp for your child, we're going to get you there. Um, if you need a resource on itch and pain, we're going to give you what I, we have and what others have. So um, it really is continuity of care. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to show the kit one more time, Amy. Can yeah. you tell our, uh, our listeners, but also kind of those that are maybe viewing this online, well, what's in the kit and, and why is it in, you know important that they get these items? Yeah, well, we did, a, again, we did a survey and we asked the community, you know, what would be helpful to you? What what would be your priority? And we tested two different kits. So there's there's some swag in there, like the cup, for example, has a straw. We know people have sometimes a hard time holding up a cup uh, when they're first getting out. So it's designed so, you know, they can do that. You know, lotions, uh, a variety of different lotions to keep their moisturized. Was, then uh, we have special sheets from Dermatherapy uh, that they've provided for people that help kind of cheer and all that. So those are there. Uh, the other things that people really resonated was, uh, was the little journey um, kind of what's next map that we told you about. We actually have kind of, these are the kind of phases that you can start to think about. And then the journey forward magazine is filled with people who have been there and done that. The stories of how they went home and some of the things they learned in that process to make it easier for the next person. So it's all survivor written um, about issues that are important at that phase of their journey because there are consistent themes. Uh, everybody mm -hmm. does it different, but there are definitely consistent themes that if we knew about and understood, uh, that journey would be a little easier. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. And I think with the kit too, 
though, you know, what we also kept in mind was that this is an open door to Phoenix society. And we're not suggesting you read the magazine from start to finish yeah. in one sitting. You will probably be overwhelmed just with all, there's so many great stories in there, yeah. but you know, that's what I love about it. Maybe you try a lotion, maybe you read one article, maybe you attend one virtual support group. Yeah. Um, just like little bits. It's like you said, everyone's different. We all heal differently. And that's why I think it's so great about the kit. You yeah. Can take it piece by piece. Yeah. And I think uh, traditionally Phoenix Society has been offering peer support in the hospital. Uh, people are going home much earlier now and they're maybe not ready for peer support yet in the hospital, but they can get connected and get connected to a peer later on. Um, the same with information. I mean, you're trying to figure out how do you get your dressings? Who's going to help take care of you? So there is a immediate kind of hierarchy of needs. <laughs> um, and uh, some of this comes later. Um, but knowing that you have a touchstone or a box that you can go back to and say, oh, I remember this thing that I got that has information about this part of my journey. And then we're getting better about helping to translate some of the medical information they need to know in a generic way um, to communicate that to, um, to our with our healthcare professional friends, um, having some generic resources around breakdown of your skin. I mean, the, probably the biggest question I had was all these little blisters that showed up on my donor sites. Should I be concerned about those? Ah, you know, so when do you go to the doctor? When do you call? When do you do this? So those are things that we're trying to work with our healthcare professionals to have good content uh, that has been developed together. Uh, to help people. Yeah. Yeah. And in, you know, that special edition of the magazine, there are, you know, the, the majority of authors are burn survivors, but a lot of them too are, have that healthcare background, yeah. whether they're a nurse or whatever it may be. But yeah, you know, that magazines has so much great information in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to transition here a little bit because um, I know one other area, Amy, that you're really passionate about is advocacy. Mm. Um can you just share, you know, what fuels that passion and maybe what are, you know, what are some things we've gotten done? You know, I, there's so much, yeah. um, but I know we had some recent victories. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's those who've come before us, right? Um, there are people who started to get the thought of peer support in discussion. I mean, Alan's work, um, James Partridge's work, Barbara Quayle's work, uh, many, Frank McGonigal and George Pisati, they've all been part of this community. And so we're continuing to build off of those kind of learnings from the community. So as a national organization, Phoenix Society is positioned, I think, to kind of convene, again, convene people, the survivors, family members, people that are passionate about this longer view of care, um, how do we bring those voices together and deliver um, our needs clearly to the community? What we need, where, where the gaps are, how do we address those gaps? As a survivor myself, I the first thing I did is look up why was there a wire at a marina that there are sailboat masts? So that was just my first step was why? And then how do you prevent that? And so I dug around at the time, I don't think computers were quite handy, but I tried to find <laughs> out as much as I could. And I kind of learned about NFPA and the codes and the standards that make our environment safer. Um, so that's always been a passion of mine of how do we prevent it uh, if mm -hmm. we can? 
Um, the best treatment of a burn is preventing it, in my opinion. Uh, the second best is making sure that we're treating the whole person throughout their needs. Um, and so Phoenix Society has been focused on those two areas, prevention, more of a codes and standards or environmental product changes versus education, because it's just, there's a lot of people doing that. And um, we are not big enough to go in all these communities to do that. So um, we bring the survivor voice to those kind of standards and codes or um, so we were just in Virginia. Uh, there's a group that's trying to strip some of the code out of the, of the electrical safety, arc faults and um, those kind of products that make us safer and protect us if there's a fire in the wall, right? Mm. They're not super expensive, but there's a cost to that safety. And so people, if they don't understand what the impact is if we have a house fire and someone gets burned and the length of that recovery, then it's a little easier to say, no, we don't need that piece anymore. Uh, so we're bringing, helping to bring that survivor voice to those code hearings to say, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I live in your district. I had a burn injury, electrical fire in my house, and this is the outcome. So when you're making the decisions, you need to be thinking of those things. So I think that's where we add a ton of value. Uh, to people like NFPA and UL and others that are trying to build safer, safer products and buildings um, to prevent injuries in the first place. So we've been very involved in that over the years. Many survivors have offered their voice uh, in mm. that way. We work with Common Voices and then Sprinkler Industry, um, uh, National Fire Sprinkler Association, AFSA, and others that, you know, Yes, they have a business, but it is around safety. And um, we feel that it is um, the model code. It's the minimum code for building. So we should be building to that. Um, mm -hmm. The other area I think we have traditionally been a quiet, but yet um, mighty force is uh, in healthcare and to partnering with ABA, the American Burn Association and bringing those survivor voices to that meeting. Um, and to our burn center partners to talk about the needs that we see, the lived experiences that we have um, and sharing with them. Uh, I was just at a quality summit with ABA and they're very, they have a lot of focus on the quality of their care, which is right. That's where it should be. Um, but I think we need to elongate how we think about quality of life because there's many chronic health issues uh, because of the burn injury that we are, are yet kind of unaddressed or unaccounted for in our care. Um, so that's where we will continue to focus and partner with ABA, bringing these lifelong lived experiences to the table. Uh, recruiting people for research in that area has been a priority for us with uh, Libre, the global kind of health uh, needs uh, project we're involved in. We're involved with Utah right now. Again, what are the resources? Uh, they have a PCORI grant that we're looking at. What are the resources that we need uh, as a community? And they're not new to us, what they're finding in these studies. So we're, we're, we're getting the data now to kind of uh, validate the lived experience that we've been talking about for, I think, many years. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's exciting to me because I think... Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we've got to have both the data, the lived experience, and then the how do we address it? And that's mm -hmm. where we'll go 
And we need the whole community to be part of that. So speaking of getting the community involved, Amy, I want to talk a little bit about the many ways that Phoenix Society engages the community. You know, we are actively working behind the scenes on some of that advocacy. Um, but we also want to talk about how survivors that may be listening to this podcast can get involved. So uh, Rachel, I'm going to have you share a little bit about some of the upcoming events that we have, yes. um, and then we'll provide some other resources, but uh, we'll have Amy chime in as well. Awesome. Yeah, I am so excited. We have our next Phoenix Engage event coming up on October 13th at 8 p.m. Um, and it's with Audra Bryant. Some of you may already be familiar with her. She's um, spoken at some of our events before, but she's a burn survivor and she's also a life coach. Um, and she's going to lead a session on, you know, determining you know, your next steps of your journey. And, you know, it's going to be an interactive workshop. Um, so she's going to lead, you know, attendees through a series of, you know, questions and just all learning more about yourself and your journey. Um, and then by the end of the session, you know, you'll have a visual representation of, you know, where you've come and where you're headed. So, you know, I've been a part of some of Audra's um, events in the past, and she's such a great host, um, great speaker. So I'm so excited to bring her back. Um, in October on the 13th. I can't believe it's the end of September already. Yeah. We're heading into October. It's it's wild. <laughs> Crazy. Amy, do you want to tell us a little bit about Phoenix Engage and, and how kind of uh, that came to be and, and what folks can do uh, to, to watch all of the sessions that have been a part of Phoenix Engage? Yeah. So Phoenix Engage is kind of, um, even before COVID, we had been talking about how do we take things that are happening at World Burn and, and, and in the magazine and how do we get uh, a more digital presence and uh, access to people because we understand that everybody can get to World Burn. Um, there is a cost to it and that there's no way around it. Um, we can't sustain it otherwise. So, but we believe that there's all this technology that we can connect people. So we were already building um, kind of the, a digital plan to bring survivors together in that format. So when COVID hit, um, we were kind of prepared, but we tested a world burn Congress. We did a full world burn, like three or four day kind of conference. And we learned from that. And so we, we evolved to this engaged series, which is a series of, I think six, but we've had some pop-ups, um, that were added to it and you can participate live or you can uh, watch it kind of on demand, uh, which so many people do now and then participate, uh, in that dialogue. Um, so it's just been a great kind of way to bring topics that are important to the community uh, to uh, greater ac accessibility, uh, bringing the leaders in our own community like Audra and others, and we'll continue to do that, uh, that have great things to offer their peers. Um, in, a, in a space that they can do easily from their home. Uh, they don't have to travel to do that. They don't, we don't have to wait till the next world burn to do it. It's all the time. And uh, the, this uh, example of the podcast is another way that we're trying to do things digitally. Um, so Engage is a, is a again, a series uh, that you can participate in. Um, I see us continuing to evolve here. Um, we know that uh, people need certain things at certain phases of their injury. So uh, our hope is that we'll continue to build tracks of this type of activity uh, around where you are, um, mm -hmm. because there's so many different opportunities and needs um, that we want to make sure we're hitting, 
you where you are, um, mm-hmm. bringing content that is meaningful to you. And so Amber and Rachel are working very diligently. And the more we know about the survivor and their where they are and their needs, the more we can help you get to the content within our resource uh, kind of center uh, and offer up things like, hey, join us tomorrow because we're talking about that issue that you were looking for yesterday. Mm. Um, so that's the exciting thing about the digital space is it's pretty isolating mm-hmm. sitting at home worrying about this or that and then not knowing where to turn. And I think that's what we're trying to create is a space where if, it, if it's not there live, maybe there's something on demand. We can connect you with a peer supporter, a chat uh, on one night. So there's a more opportunities and then not just ours, but other people's uh, mm-hmm. other groups that are doing things. Uh, both face-to-face uh, and digitally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, Amy. So there are lots of ways to get involved, uh, one of which uh, is on our website, uh, phoenix-society.org. There is an events calendar of all of the things happening in the community. So phoenix-society.org forward slash community dash calendar. Uh, in addition, uh, we did mention this earlier, but we'd love for uh, you know anyone listening or watching today to join us on Facebook uh, on October 25th, uh, the big announcement of where and what day uh, or days the Phoenix Society's uh, Phoenix World Burn Congress will occur. Uh, so we hope that you'll join us on October 25th. Um, in addition, there are advocacy opportunities on our website. So if you're interested in participating in one of those research studies that Amy talked about. Um, We are consistently um, have different hospitals or organizations uh, participating in some research studies that we uh, have listed on our website. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also have those support resources. So um, we have virtual support group. That's an online Zoom support group on the second and fourth Monday of every night. Um, We have an online Facebook community uh, that we'll put a link to in our description notes of the podcast. Uh, among many other things. So check out our website, phoenix-society.org for some of those uh, resources. Uh, And I'll let Rachel, since she is the uh, (laughs) guru behind the Journey Magazine, formerly known as Burn Support Magazine. Uh, Rachel, tell us a little bit about um, our next edition because that's coming out very soon. Yes, yes. Our next edition of Journey Magazine will be, it's with the designer right now. We're putting some final touches on it and it's going to be hitting mailboxes in about a month. but I'm really excited. I mean, I love Journey Magazine. I love the stories we share in it. This one in particular, we have a 12-year-old named Isabella. She's a burn survivor who recently climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with the Courage Rising team, um, a group of burn survivors and burn surgeons and healthcare folks. So it's an awesome article. Amber and I had the pleasure of meeting Isabella, and she is such an amazing little woman, and she's going to grow up. I mean, she con- she conquered Mount Kilimanjaro. She can conquer anything. Life throws at her, clearly. So um, I thought that, I mean, that one's great. You know, um, we have a great escape planning, um, you know, little toolkit um, since, you know, National Fire Prevention Week is coming up very soon. It's the 100th anniversary. Well, you'll hear more about that on our next podcast, actually, since we have Lorraine from NFPA on. But um, yeah, just a great, you know, great magazine with so many great stories in it. So it, and it's free. I didn't, don't think I mentioned that, but it's free. So make sure you subscribe to that so you can get that in your mailbox. Awesome. Well, uh, in addition, I, we have a couple of last questions here, Amy, as Uh-oh. we uh, as we <laughs> begin to wrap up. But I don't think we've got any uh, burning questions or 
uh, questions in there in that chat there for you. So I'm going to ask you some that uh, Rachel and I came up with um, to kind of test you out on some additional <laughs> knowledge or things that you can share with our community. And if any come in, I will share them with the group. Uh, I know we have Howard here that just shared with us. He's enjoying the information. Uh, and so if anyone Thanks, has any other questions, uh, feel free to share them. But I guess my first question for you, Amy, is um, what are you looking forward to in the coming years with uh, the Phoenix Society? So what is your hope or uh, excitement for the future here that you've, um, I know obviously World Burn Progress is probably a big one, but uh, what else? Yeah, well, I think um, I think the exciting thing for me is to really being driven uh, by the survivor, being informed by the survivor community and how we can best help uh, the individual and the the community, right? Um, and I think we're doing a much better job uh, at doing that and then designing uh, programs and services that can uh, convene the right people because we can't do it ourselves. Uh, this The need is huge, like financial, direct financial support of survivors. I would love to be able to help people in that way. That's not within our ability as a, as a community. Uh, but in saying that, there are things that we can do to advocate for better care and resources for the community if we come together. Um, so for me, it is about building, uh, building the community to a larger voice uh, so we have more, um, quite frankly, power to advocate for our needs as a whole. Um, so that's exciting to me. I think uh, the Phoenix team internally, uh, we've brought some great new people on our team that have some new skill sets that will help us do just that. Um, we have uh, a new program services lead who has more community-based uh, experience, and that is going to add wonderful things to our already awesome team. Um, so I think uh, our team continues to get stronger. Our community continues to get more engaged. And when that happens, um, we'll all be able to help more people um, live successfully with a burn injury. And ultimately, I think that's what we're trying to do is how can, how can we help and facilitate successful recovery and living with a burn injury? Um, and ultimately, that's what we're about. And we'll stay focused on that always, uh, mm -hmm. driven by and informed by the survivor and their family. Thank you for that. Well, I want to ask one more quick question and then we'll wrap it up. But um, I'd love to know, you know, who inspires you on hmm. your day to day? Most of the people in this community. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the reason why I stay, I just I, 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 uh, I love the resilience and the um, the ability to overcome obstacles of this group. I was a sports person in high school and I still have this kind of competitive, like how can I get better personally? How can I um, have impact? How can I make my team better? Uh, how can we have better outcomes? So it's, that's what drives me is creating and thinking about new ways to solve the problems that we face. Um, whether it's uh, trying to get past that guard to the hoop or if it's uh, trying to get people the resources they need uh, so they can heal. 
it's the same kind of concept for me. So it is the creativity. I love uh, creativity and that kind of solving problems. Uh, and I love teams. I love to bring people together around uh, common common goals. And so that's mm -hmm. uh, that's what drives me every day. Um, yes, that's well, we're awesome. so happy to have you, Amy. Your uh, knowledge is, and just the ability to kind of help you know, other survivors like myself is inspiring. And we genuinely appreciate you joining our podcast today. Yeah. Well, it's a big team effort. And thank you guys. I'm so excited for this podcast. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got a great lineup this first year and it's just going to keep growing. So thanks so much for doing it, uh, using those creative juices and taking <laughs> a leap. So thank yes. you very much. Yes. Thank you so much, Amy. I so appreciate it. And we, Amy will be back with us. It won't be a podcast, but on October 25th at noon on Facebook, we'll be live sharing that Phoenix World Burn Congress date and location. So yeah. make sure you tune in then and, and make sure you tune in next week. Um, our next episode is coming out on the 4th. Um, mm -hmm. October 4th. And that's going to be a great episode um, all about fire prevention week. So definitely tune in. Um, and like Amy said, we have uh, this first season of Girls with Graphs. We have so many exciting guests coming up. Um, so stay tuned on our social, on Facebook, things like that, and all major podcast platforms to find out more and when our episodes are dropping. Um, and we're also, you know, we're interested in hearing your voices and having you come on the show too. So if you are interested in coming on the podcast, just send us an email at info at phoenix-society.org. Um, and we love to fit you in. So yes, yeah, so, so many great guests. I can't wait to, you know, get some of them on here. Yeah. And uh, once again, before we leave today, I do want to thank our sponsor, Pritzker Hagman, for their season one sponsorship. The Pritzker Hagman Burn Injury Legal Team helps burn survivors and their loved ones pursue compensation and justice throughout the United States. If you have any legal questions, the attorneys at Pritzker Hagman are ready to help. And so you can find out more at legaljourney.guide. Uh, so we want to thank them for joining us today. And we are so excited to see you all on our next podcast, like uh, Rachel said. And so uh, we hope to uh, see you all or have you all hear us very soon. Uh, and so with that, we want to thank Amy again. Amy, any last final thoughts before we close out today? Nope. Uh, just uh, I hope uh, people hearing this will join us in these efforts and um, keep keep talking to us. Let us know what you need. and. Um, how you want to be involved. Thanks again. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.